0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We can take the chorus of that song and we turn it into a question. Is it well with your soul? I think you know the answer, don't you? I think you know where you stand with Christ and I think you know where you stand with your Creator. I had a conversation, although it was brief, I had a conversation with someone yesterday that was very, very far from Jesus and the Gospel. Uh, very opinionated about uh, the world and, how it all came to be, and we were having a very interesting conversation, and the question was, we have all this brokenness, we have all this division, we have all this anger, we have all this hatred, and, and, and what is the answer? What is the answer? That's a big question, right? Maybe it's a question you've been wrestling with, is um, is it more money, is it more education, is it more government programs? What is it that's going to that's gonna bring... What really is a divided nation back together? And I think this person I was talking with, she, she thought that's where I was going to go. And I looked her right in the eyes and I said, It is only through a restored relationship with the Creator, only through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can see a healing in a nation, period. And I, and I said that, I said that um, loving God, and loving neighbor. You know, Jesus said that was the greatest commandment. You take all the commandments, hanging on that. Love Jesus, love the Lord, Lord Lord, Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the answer to the racial separation and division we've got. It is the answer to all of the hatred. It is the answer to all of the just venomous vitriol that we're seeing all over social media. That is still the answer. It's always been the answer. You restore to your creator. And that empowers you to love neighbor regardless of who they are and where they came from. 1 Timothy 5. I want to read through this text this morning, but I want to to kind of preempt this by saying a couple things to those that are watching online. And maybe today's the first day you've ever been with us or maybe you've been with us kind of here and there and this is maybe the first time in a while that you've been back. One of the core principles of this church is, is teaching the Bible. Kind of fundamental, isn't it? We, we take that very seriously. And one of the convictions that I have is teaching through an entire book of the Bible. And what that does is it, it prevents us from sidestepping any particular text or paragraph that might make us uncomfortable or may seem a little bit, well, different. So we've been walking through First Timothy for a while, and last week was a little bit different. This week's going to be a little bit different because as we walk through these books, we believe that every portion of Scripture, every verse has purpose, the ability to change your life, the ability to make the church focus on what we've been called to do and who we've been called to be. So we don't, we don't sidestep around stuff that maybe seems less interesting. We're not here to make the Bible relevant. It already is. Okay. So I'm going to preempt this sermon today that you're going to have the notion somewhere along. Well, of course, he's going to preach a sermon like this because it's self-serving. Listen to the text. Pick it up in verse 17. It's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that those that are watching online are here today. And we'd invite you to, to walk through the text with us. Verse 17, let the elders, or as you understand it, pastors, bishops, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. See, I told you you're thinking it's going to be kind of self-serving today, right? To have double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scriptures say, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, And the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and in Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Uh, Do not be hasty in laying on hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink, only water, but use a little wine for sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Father, Your Word is perfect and pure and true. So Father, it is not our desire in any way, shape, or form this morning To try to bend your word to fit some ideas or presuppositions that we have. Our goal this morning is to completely hear from you and from the Holy Spirit as to what the word says, to understand it, and to live by it. So, Father, our end goal today and our desire is life change from the inside out. Father, your word has that ability. This is your word to us. So we respect it and we have high regard for it. Father, we thank you for the mercy and the kindness and the grace that, just as your word says, that I found fresh and new every morning. Father, I know that there are families here connected to this church this morning that are going through some just really, really hard times, whether it be sickness in their family, uh, whether it be struggles at work, whether it be kind of an unknown, uncertain future. So Father, we pray for your mercy and your grace to be new and fresh in their life today. And Father, most of all, for those either watching online or or those present today, that Father, I know that many people have been exposed to church and have been to church and maybe got their feelings hurt or or saw turmoil in the church and want nothing to do with it. And for those, Father, who are far from you who have never put their faith in you, I pray that there be no barriers of past experiences with church that would prevent them from putting their faith in you. Because, Father, following you and putting your faith there and being reconciled to our Creator is more important, more vastly important than any previous hurts. So, Father, guide us in your Word today. We'll give you honor. We'll give you praise. We'll give you thanks for it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit in time. I'm going to go back to 2012, uh, winter, spring, summer 2012. And I was serving as an associate pastor in another church. And um, it was the church my wife grew up in. And when I announced my call into ministry in 2005, uh, this church that I've been serving as a deacon in for quite a while asked me to come on staff be, a, be an associate pastor. So going through that process, basically it came down to the church saying, yes, we, we want him to be our associate pastor. And that kind of went through, and I served eight years there it was somewhere around, around year seven that God began to stir my heart to say, you're, you're wrapping up here. And I had come to that place where I felt like God was going to move me somewhere else. And I, and I knew it was going to be probably more towards a, a lead or senior pastor position. And I had to do something I had never done before. Because with that position, I didn't have to go through like a, a search committee. For those of you who don't know, when a church is looking to fill a staff position, they put together a team. And that team interviews and that team uh, looks at candidates and they go through resumes and they do interviews and that kind of thing to find the person that God is calling to a church. So if, I, if you hear me use the term search committee or search team, that's what I'm talking about. I didn't have to do that with that associate pastor role. But now moving into the lead pastor role, I knew that I was going to have to engage with different churches to see if I was a fit for that particular pastor position. Well, I got my eyes opened in a lot of ways. I, often what would happen is I would, I would see an ad, like uh, on a church website, or uh, the North Carolina Baptist Convention has a site where churches that are looking for pastors try to try to match churches with, with pastors, kind of like the eHarmony of filling staff positions, for lack of a better term. Uh, so I got into that process, and, and what was interesting is, is the church would put up a, a kind of a description of what they were looking for. And they would say stuff like this, oh, our church is ready to grow. We're ready to reach our communities. We're ready to have a, a visionary pastor who can come in and, and lead us forward. And I'm like, that's where I need to be. So I would fill out their paperwork or send them the resume, and then it would come that day where I would make the visit and, and do the interview process with that particular team. And it wouldn't be literally 20 minutes into the interview that I begin to realize that there is a difference between what they put in the ad and what they're actually wanting. And I, I'm gonna be honest with you, it was almost, it was almost dishonest in some of those occasions because it was almost like the church was putting forward, well, you know, like on eHarmony, people put like the picture of them all beef and beefed up and big muscle bound and. And then you go meet the person or like, now nah, I didn't engage in this. I was long married before any of this ever came up. But, but you understand, I've heard stories of people going to meet and are like, wait a minute, you're you're not the person in your profile picture at all. Well, now kind of the same thing happens. The, 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 the church puts forth an ad saying they're really one thing and they're looking for one thing, only when you get there to find out, um, yeah, they've not been working out in a while. Okay. So we're going through the Interview process, and it became very clear very, very early that um, they weren't being completely honest. So, what I did in preparation for the sermon is I, I put together an ad that if a church was going to be completely honest about what they were really wanting, that, that this is the kind of ad that they would put out. Okay, now let me, let me say this first of all, before we get any further. This is not in reference to the search process that I did with this church. The search process that I did with this church was phenomenal. Up front on everything, nothing hid under the table, very clear, very concise. So I want to put that out there right from the very beginning. However, because I didn't want the search committee to start looking for another pastor. Nonetheless, let, let me give you the ad that I think is honest to the experiences that I had going through several, well, candidate processes with other churches before I connected with High Park. So here it is. He must be able to lead,
1: yet not offend anyone. I actually had that said to me, by the way. I'm not making this up. You've got to be able to lead the church you can't offend anyone.
0: I don't even know how to do that. He must be able to preach powerful sermons that reach people between the ages of 5 and 90. I'm not making that up. We desire a pastor to grow our church, but don't ask us to change or expect us to help. Now, this, now again, just to clarify, this is the ad that should have been put in the newspaper or in the website. The ideal candidate will, will visit the sick. He'll disciple the young people. He will attend all committee meetings. He'll provide counseling. He'll teach a small group, perform weddings and funerals, be involved in a civic organization so he is in public view. He's to evangelize, preach thir- three sermons per week that are fresh and engaging. He'll cast a new vision for the church without requiring any changes. Double the size of the church in two years. Be on call 24-7. Make sure that all worship services are exciting and alive, but the music must be appealing to each individual member's preferences. I'm not sure how to do that either. He must lead the staff. He must be active in the uh, local association, the North Carolina Baptist Association, and the National Association. Uh, He must... uh, He must preach three revivals a year, build a new sanctuary and or multi-purpose building and or remodel said buildings. Uh, And in connection with that, uh, he must do a capital fundraising campaign because the idea is if we build a new building, people will come, right? Build it and they will come. So that's what we want to do and you've got to lead that. We want you to increase giving overall. Produce a church-wide newsletter. uh, Mow the lawn as needed. I'm not making that up. Look, I'm not above mowing the yard. I'm good with that. But I think there might be other people in the church that might be ready to do that. Mow the lawn, uh, build a vibrant children's ministry, purchase a new bus, and attract young families. Now that, that's all of what is expected for, for one person to do. And by the way, just so you know, uh, we are going to pay you $30,000 a year, just right above poverty line in our local economy, to do all of that and it's a full-time position, you can't have any other jobs. Now, the reason I share this with you is because I want us to take a clear look at what Paul says to Timothy about the responsibility of the elders, pastors, in the church, and what the church's responsibility is to those leaders that God has placed there. It is not, it is not the calling of the pastor to do every job in the church.
1: I'm going to pause right there and I hear an amen because I'm not moving. Thank you. Sometimes I'll just beg for them, okay?
0: It is not the role of the pastor to do every role in the church. It's not healthy, it's not wise, and it's not what the New Testament church is to be about. It is also true that the pastor is not to be the CEO, the CFO, the Board chairman, or any of that other stuff. He's called to be a pastor, overseer, shepherd, to love, to, to, to teach, to feed, to be an example, and, and to be part of the body of Christ as we move forward in the mission that He's given us. And that is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors as ourselves. And then that manifests itself in the Great Commission work that we've been given make disciples, teach them to obey Christ, baptize them. Great Commission work. I'm concerned that over the years the church has taken on this idea or this mentality just like the business world, that, that the pastor's CEO and that you know, he's just an employee of the church. I hope, I hope that I am more to this body than just a, just a staff member. I hope that all of our staff are more than just staff members, that they're, that they're part of this family and that we're working together. So Paul is going to say to Timothy, Timothy, there's some things that you must be responsible for There's things that the elders, the rest of the elders that are serving with you are responsible for, but there are responsibilities upon the church. And he lists them out very practically. Now, in Acts 20, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And he really wants to go back to Ephesus. If you remember, Paul planted this church in Ephesus. He was there for almost three years. And while he was there, he he raised up leaders, elders, pastors, out of the congregation. He, he raised them up, he trained them, and they led the church. And, and as he's on his way back to Jerusalem in Acts 20, he calls for the leaders or the elders from Ephesus to meet him at Miletus. And he sits down with those elders, and he says to them, Now, guys, now I know that after my departure, and when you go back to your church, that there are wolves that are trying to creep into your church to, sh- to rip it to shreds, and you must not allow that to happen. Now, the reason I bring that up, It's because notice in verse 17, Paul's talking to the elders, plural. He's talking to Timothy, who has the role of being the pastor, teaching pastor of this church. But there are other men who meet the qualifications that we talked about a few weeks ago in chapter 3 who are serving with him. Paul met with them. Timothy was not the pastor at Acts 20, he is now. So listen
1: to what Paul says to Timothy, this young pastor. He says, Let the elders who rule well, be considered
0: worthy of double honor. Now let's let's break that down for just a moment. The first thing that he says is, Timothy, let the elders who rule well. So what he's saying is, is that not only Timothy, but those other leaders that were shepherding and leading and teaching and feeding this congregation, he says, make sure they are leading well. Now don't get hung up on that word rule. It wasn't like they were some kind of dictatorship. It wasn't as though Timothy and the elders were like dictators and they just told the congregation what they had to do and just expected them to do it. That is not what we find anywhere in Paul's writings. What we find is a family of God, brothers and sisters, working together, serving together to accomplish the mission that God had called them to. But he says, those elders, first of all, they must lead and serve their congregations. So, it's not like when you get the title of pastor, the title of elder, or you've been to seminary and you get a degree, that degree and that title doesn't mean squat to a congregation until you serve that congregation. It does not matter if you've got DR in front of your name, it does not matter if you've got Reverend or Pastor or sh- whatever you want to put there as far as title. Until you have earned the trust of that congregation, that congregation is not going to follow you anywhere, and they're not going to give you the time of day. And the only way you can do that is to serve the people, to love the people, to walk with the people, to not be above mowing the yard or even cleaning the toilets. And I've done both while I've been here. The point is this. Timothy, these elders that are serving with you, you make sure that they're serving well. And if they are, and they've earned the right to lead, They've earned the right and the trust of the congregation because trust doesn't come with a title. Trust comes with hard work. There's no reason for you to follow. I moved here from three and a half hours away. Y'all, get, y'all didn't know me at all. Didn't you know my family. And over time, I hope that I've been able to build some trust with you. And the only way that's been able to happen is through consistency. It didn't become because I've got a title. It didn't become because I've got some papers hanging on my wall that said I went to school. It came because we've been in the trenches together. We've done the hard work together. And I'm not above you. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. We're brothers and sisters. And we, we work together in this family of God. He says, make sure you're leading well. Now, if you are, if you are, Timothy, make sure that not only you, but the elders who are serving with you by the church should be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So what does he mean by double honor? Does he mean double pay? Does he mean, well, what does he mean? I think there's two things that is included in double honor. Number one, I think he means respect. And again, respect doesn't come with a title. Respect is something that must be earned. And it must be earned over time. And I hope that I've been able to build that since I've been with you for eight years. I hope, hope that we've been able to build that together. But what Paul is saying here to Timothy is Timothy, there must be a respect for the congregation towards their elders because God has called them to that role. Now, I want to be very clear, and I've worked really hard to kind of keep this premise in view of this church. I I don't belong to some kind of hierarchy of Christians where we are kind of up on this tier and all the rest of you are down here. That I I somehow arrived at some level of perfection that is somehow above you guys. That is not the case, and it's not the case for any pastor serving any church. I am part of this fellowship. I am a brother and sister to this fellowship. I am part of the family of God, but God has set me apart for a specific role. That role doesn't make me any better than you. That role doesn't make me any closer to God than you. It doesn't make me any more valuable to you. It just says that my role is different than yours. However, a church cannot accomplish what God has called it to accomplish if the church has lost respect for its leaders. And I can give you church after church after church after church. I can name names. I won't. Where there was a loss of respect, either because of something the pastor did as far as a moral, or because the church just didn't like him anymore. They just didn't want him anymore. And when that respect falls away, you can guarantee there'll be no focus on the Great Commission. There'll be no focus on growing in faith. There'll be no focus on getting into God's Word. It'll be absolute turmoil. Whether, whether the pastor has had a failure or, or whether the people have failed. But when the respect is lost, the ministry is no longer moving forward. We have churches all over this county. That is the condition of the church. That, that they don't respect the man that God has placed there for any host of reasons. Without respect, we get nothing done. And,
1: and in it, wouldn't it make sense? that if Satan was going to destroy a fellowship, that he would do it right there. And it's often through
0: gossip, and we'll come back to that in a minute, but it's often through gossip. Something that starts, that's not even true. And it spreads and it spreads and it spreads, and next thing you know, there's animosity, there's hatred, there's division. He says double honor. If they're serving well, double honor. First, that is respect. I don't know if you're noticing this in our world at large, but respect is something that is lessening. School teachers. Can we just have a conversation? <laughs> How's the respect level in your classrooms? Let's even go before COVID-19. I don't, it doesn't matter what grade you're teaching. How's the respect between your students and you, the teacher, who is an authority in the classroom, right? How's that working? It's not working very well. How about those of you who are serving in law enforcement? We've got a lot of law enforcement officers. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. I'm proud of you. I support you. I love you.
1: I thank you for the protection that you provided for me in this church. How's the respect? It's lessening.
0: Everywhere we see in community, there's a lack of respect for people who've been given authority for some aspect of society. And that's creeping into the church. He says double honor. One is respect. He says this. You don't have to turn over there, but 1 Thessalonians 5, he says this to that church in Thessalonica. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love. Respect is always undergirded by love. But that's not all he's talking about. He's not just talking about respect because listen to what else he says. He says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For scriptures say, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So double honor is both respect, but also, get this, compensation. You mean I'm going to sit through a sermon this morning where the pastor who gets paid by the church is going to preach a sermon on compensation? Yep, that's where we are in 1 Timothy 5. So let me just say right off the bat, this church has taken very good care of me and my family. And I'm very grateful for that. And I think this church needs to become a model to other churches in this area who are not treating their pastors the same way. As a matter of fact, I have heard it said, even in this community,
1: well, we don't pay our pastor a whole lot because we want to keep him humble. Wait a minute, I thought that was the Holy Spirit's job. And you are being disobedient to the clear teaching of Scripture when your pastor, when your elder, as having
0: to figure out how he's going to feed his family. He's got the same bills you've got. He's got the same expenses. And even some churches have in their bylaws that the, that the pastor cannot serve in any other job. He can't, he can't take on another job. So he, he can only serve here. And, and he, he and his wife are having conversations in their home. Pastors in this community are having conversations with their wives about how in the world are we ever going to get out of this debt? How in the world are we ever going to be able to get ahead? And, I, and, and, the, and these same men, have spent money, lots of money, going to school, going to seminary, getting a degree so that they can lead the church. And at the same time, the church is pulling the rug right
1: out from under their feet because they want to keep him humble. That's heresy. Let's just call it what it is. Paul
0: says that the church has a responsibility to support those that God has called to lead. And and certainly, it's in connection to where the church is, the size of the church, how much much the church is bringing in. Because get this, everything that I receive is because of your generosity. And I'm thankful for it. But not everybody, not every church treats their pastors the way you have treated me with such grace and honor. You you have been very good to me. He says here that an ox treading out the grain, guess what that ox gets to do? He gets gets to bend his head down and eat some of the grain that he's treading out. So as he's working, he gets to participate in the fruit of his labor. Paul's saying, that's the example. Take care of your elders by respecting them, and yes, compensating them and helping them to take care of their families. So how do we honor the elders? We respect them, and we take care of them financially. Paul was a tent maker. Now, Paul was a a tent maker, but he was also a missionary. So, Paul would travel from town to town planning churches, and he'd get the church established, and he'd move on, and he'd make tents on the side to, to help support himself. And then, then while he was in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus supported him. And then, when he moved on to Corinth, in Corinth, the church supported him there. But, but Paul had this side gig, right? He, he was building tents. And, and there are still lots of pastors today who are what we call bivocational they serve the church, but they also have a full time or part time job. And that's okay. But here's the thing those churches must absolutely must, to the best of their ability, say, our desire is to do the very best we can for our elders. To do the very best we can to take care of those that God has called here. And if a church has a half million dollars in the bank and its pastor can't make his bills, I'm sorry, there's a problem. Double honor. Honor the elders. Secondly, notice this. He says to protect the elders. He says not only honor them, but protect them. Verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Hmm. Well, we live in a day-to-day where all kinds of accusations can be made pretty easily, right? I mean, a person can sit behind a computer screen or on a phone and they can lodge any accusation they want to make towards the church, towards pastor, deacon, or anything else without any accountability, without without any check and balance there to say, wait a minute. Well, first of all, this is wrong. Second of all, uh, do you have any evidence to back that up? <laughs> I've been accused of all kinds of things. One, one of the most outlandish, um, I was about two years in, y'all probably don't know about this, or maybe you heard about it. Maybe, maybe, maybe the question is still sitting in your mind. Well, I'll clear it up. About two half years into being your pastor, there was a rumor that was running through the other churches in this county that I supported same-sex marriage and that I would, married, that I would marry two men. Now, I, know, I hear you laughing because some of you have been sitting under my preacher for a while and you're like, uh, no, we've heard him speak on that pretty clearly. I don't know where it started. I never could track it down. But I had to, um, I had to make some pretty public statements within our association
1: about my stand on that. A rumor. There's been plenty of them. Can I, can I ask you to do me a favor?
0: <laughs> if you hear something out there, can you, can you think the best of me first before thinking the worst?
1: Matter of fact, when I hear something about you, which is very rare, When I hear something about you, I, I
0: think the best of you first, because I know you. We, we've been doing some life together. And even if I don't know you, I'm still going to say, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, we need to make sure that we've, we've got everybody at the table here. Otherwise, it's gossip. But, but I would just ask you that, that on this social media crazy world we live in, that if you see something posted out there and you, you've been with me for a while, we've done some life together, could you please say, wait a minute, that's not the guy I know. I'm not even, I'm not, first of all, I'm not going to pass that on. Second of all, I'm, I'm going to confront that because some ain't right. I would ask you to do that. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying to Timothy Timothy, accusations are going to come, they always do. Anybody who stands upon scripture is going to get accused. Let me say that again. Anybody who's teaching this, Is going to offend. That's why I laughed when that church way back when said, We we want you to leave, but don't offend anyone. That's impossible because every time I put my nose in scripture, guess what? I get offended. The Holy Spirit says, uh, Hey, son, there's some things in your life right there that's missing the mark. You need to to deal with that. So if I'm preaching the gospel, the gospel in and of itself is offensive, right? It's going to call you to, to walk away from these things. If you're lost, You don't know Jesus? You're far from Jesus? Well, get this. The Gospel is offensive because what it's going to ask you to do is put your faith in Jesus and be willing to have Him as King of your life, which means every other king is no king at all. Every other God is no God at all. You're going to forsake all of that and only one king can be your king. That's offensive. He says here that for the elders who are ruling well, there's going to be accusations and the way you handle that is not to run with rumors and gossip, but to deal with the truth. To to deal with the elder. To to go to him and talk to him about whatever's being said, but not to go to everyone else and be a pawn in a game that Satan is playing with you. Because Satan will take any misinformation he can and he will divide a church because his end goal is that we never be Great Commission focused. And you want to be so off course You'll never be more off course than when there's division in the church about rumor and gossip. He says, make sure there are witnesses. Make sure you handle this correctly. Make sure there's communication. Now, honor the elders. Protect the elders. Look at this. Hold the elders accountable. Look at this. He says in verse 20, he says, as for those, meaning elders, who persist in sin, rebuke them. Rebuke is a very, very strong word in the New Testament. Rebuke them, but not just rebuke them, but in the presence of all, so that all may stand in fear. Wow. So, the elders' ministry is a public ministry, right? So so my role in this church as as shepherd is a a public, that's a public calling, both congregation and community. So if my life begins to go off rails and I begin to engage in immorality, this congregation has the responsibility and the right to hold me accountable and any other elder accountable. And, and when they hold me, when the church holds me accountable, and, and, and there is sin in my life and there are things in my life that, that, is, that is bringing reproach upon the gospel and reproach upon the church, church, you have an absolute responsibility to call me to the mat on that. To do it correctly, to, to make sure there's witnesses, make sure that we have a clear understanding, but you have every right to come and speak with me about And if I'm in the wrong, and I need to be rebuked, which means strong correction, guess how that's to be done? In front of you.
1: That rebuke is to come in front of the congregation. Well, that's that's hard, isn't it? We'd rather just handle it behind the scenes. No.
0: The reason, and and listen, there are situations and things that call for wisdom, but what Paul's saying here is that when when an elder is being held accountable And there's a rebuke that needs to happen, that the congregation itself participates in that rebuke. Why? Because the ministry is public. The testimony of the church is important. And not only that, listen to this, it says that that there may be fear, respect among the congregation. If you go back to Matthew 18, Jesus lays out the concept of church discipline. The idea is that if, if a brother or sister within the body of Christ is erring, if they, are, if they are going in a direction that is bringing destruction into their life, that we have a responsibility as a church body, as a family, to, 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 to confront that with the hopes of gaining that brother or sister back into right fellowship with, with God and with the church and with the community. Well, the, the pastor's not above that and shouldn't be. That not only church discipline for the membership, but it's also even a higher level of accountability because... In some situations, the, the, the church member may have to be rebuked in front of the congregation. That's where Jesus ends it. Eventually, if the person refuses, they're to be put out of the church, which is a congregational effort or input. And if everything that's been done has been done in love and
1: they still reject, then that's the only thing you've got left. Well, the pastor, the elder, is to be held responsible publicly before you. So if, if there are things in my life, and listen, understand this. And that's why
0: I said earlier, I'm not above you. I'm not some kind of higher echelon of Christianity. We're in this together. I am subject to moral failure. I can make a mistake. I've made several, not moral failures per se, as, as far as what Paul's described, but I have made some mistakes through my eight years here serving as your pastor. I've had to make that right with individuals, or with groups. There
1: have been times my yes haven't been my yes and my no haven't been my no, and I've, I've had to adone that. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy,
0: Make sure you understand what it means to be called and set apart for this work, that you're You are held accountable to the congregation. And then finally, Paul says to Timothy, not only should you honor the elders and, and protect the elders and hold the elders accountable, but you should also be very, very careful, careful in choosing elders. Look what he says. He says, now, do not be hasty and lying laying on hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Right before that, he says, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging or doing anything from partiality. In other words, leading into this conversation about choosing elders carefully, he says, Don't do anything with prejudice and don't do anything with partiality. Don't do, don't, don't select elders. Don't select these folks, whether it be elders or deacons or any leadership role, really. Don't select these people from partiality. In other words, they have politically motivated themselves. They have position themselves so they could get a title of honor and be seen by people. Don't do that. But also, don't prejudge people so much to the degree that, that your standards are so high that they can never possibly meet them. The character traits that he lays out in chapter 3 is exactly what we should be looking for. Now, you've been waiting for me to get to verse 23, haven't you? Just admit it. You wanted me to get to verse 23. No longer drink, only water. But let's use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and, and for frequent ailments. What is, what is Paul doing here? It's almost like he's, it's like he's chasing a rabbit, which I do quite often in sermons, if you already realize. So let's chase the same rabbit that he's chasing. So what does the Bible say about alcohol? Well, I'm not getting into that today because that opens up a whole nother can of worms and you all want to get out of here by 2 o'clock. So let me just say this. Timothy apparently had some physical ailments. That's why he's directing this at Timothy. And I think it's interesting that right here, he, uh, he says this here because he's talking to Timothy about how much responsibility he has as an elder and the elders around him. And then we go back to those character traits in chapter 3 for elders, and it says there that they're not to be given to alcohol. They're not to be excessive in alcohol. They're not to be drunkards. So is, is Paul contradicting himself? No, he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I know you've got some physical ailments, and, and I found out that, that, this, that maybe some wine can help with that, so drink a little bit of that, and maybe you can get over this, and maybe you can be well. Is, is Paul prescribing something for the whole church? Is he telling all of us, well, if you feel a little bad today, just go get absolutely hammered. Can we all just say, no, that is not what Paul is saying here. So now we're going to move on. You were hoping for more there, but we're moving on. Look at the next part. <laughs> yeah, I know how y'all are thinking. Verse 24. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the, others, the other sins appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, even those that are, cannot remain hidden. Go back up where it says, do not lay on hands hastily. What he's saying is, is that when we set a people apart, if, if you're new to the church, when, when we're setting people apart for a specific role, especially that role of elder, and, and the way we operate now as deacon, we, we come around them, we pray for them, and we, we do something called laying hands on them and praying for them. Now, there's nothing magical in that moment. It's just that we are unifying ourselves with, with God's call in this person's life, and we are banding together as a church family to support this person in the new ministry they're going to perform in this fellowship. But Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't do that too quickly. Be be very slow to do that. Why do you think Paul would say that? Well, in that church, Timothy was having to deal with false teachers that were creeping in. And and, and you know how it is in the church. We get so busy and we need people to serve. and, And so we're just trying to throw warm bodies at service places in the church without really thinking, should that person be doing that? And especially within the role of elders, what he's talking about here, he's saying, Timothy, don't get in a hurry and just grab somebody, lay hands on them, call them an elder and put them to work because that is exactly where Satan will creep in to your fellowship and cause all kinds of problems. He's saying, slow down, take your time. If you're a church, if you're calling a pastor, slow down, take your time, spend much time in prayer to make sure that this is God's man for this time in this fellowship. There's no reason to get in a hurry. Because if we're getting in a hurry, we're not trusting in the sovereignty of an almighty God who has all of this figured out already and we need to understand the mind of God in that moment. If we're getting in a hurry, you know what we're doing? We're taking control. We're not trusting Him with it. We're trusting ourselves. And let me tell you where that will lead you. A mess.
1: He says the reason you need to take time is because sometimes it takes a while for some people's sins to become evident. And then
0: for others, they do a really good job of hiding it for others it takes a little while to see their good works what they're really about what they really believe for others it takes a little longer what he's saying is is be very very careful it would be well it would be a a mistake for a church to get in a hurry and calling a pastor or an elder when a same top role out in the community somewhere a company may take a year to fill that role And sometimes churches are feeling a role in their church to lead their church and cast vision and teach the Word. They're taking weeks. You're opening yourself up for a failure. Just a few things I want to leave you with before we close. First of all, honor your elders and respect. Honor your elders with respect and financial support. Let me again say that this church gets an A-plus on that. You have cared for my family. You've made my family your family. It's hard moving to a new area. Um, My daughter just graduated high school yesterday. She was 10 years old when we came here. She's 18 now. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. But you welcomed us. You embraced us, and you've loved us, and you've cared for us, and you've met needs that I didn't even know I had. (laughs) But you've met them. But I think Park needs to be a model for other churches because there's a whole bunch of churches in this area where they are pastors are teetering on the edge of depression. I meet them. I talk with them. I know who they are. They are about to quit. They're about to get... Look, the, the, the thing that they were so excited about when God said, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to go teach my Word. I want you to go in my church. And I want you to go in there and I want you to love those people, serve those people, and teach those people. But that pastor goes into that church to love those people and serve those people to do what God's called him to do only to get rejection and even hatred and gossip from those same people. So this pastor is in a predicament. He's he's in a paradox. On the one hand, he's to
1: love the church, but that church ain't loving him. I think high Park needs to be a model for other churches in this community to follow. But you know how to
0: take care of your pastors. You need to do a good job of it. Second, respect is earned, not bought or bargained for. A title doesn't give you respect. That counts in your job. It counts here. You can have the title. You, 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 can have, you can have all the little extra things at into end of your name. You can have DR and PhD and all that good stuff there. But I can tell you right now, you got to earn respect. And that means time. And I've been in the trenches with some of you folks. We've been in the trenches together. Whether it be hurricanes or it be a family crisis, we have been in the trenches together and I have tried my best to serve you. And I think it's through that that we have a mutual... I respect you and you respect me and we're, we're doing things together in the calling of God. But here's the thing. When that respect goes away, the church begins to, to get off track. And not only that, but it must be earned. It must be, well, spin in the trenches. Bar- you can't bargain for it. Title doesn't give it to you. Third, resist the urge to believe everything you hear about me. <laughs> Reser- resist that urge. And any of any of our leaders. Don't, don't jump on that bandwagon just because it's
1: juicy. Don't, don't, don't just pass it on as though it's not going to cause harm to this fellowship? Let me give you a story. Kind of
0: connect the dots here. Now, if your name happens to fit one of these names in this story, it is by pure happenstance. This story has nothing to do particularly with us. Don't get offended. Don't put nasty things on Facebook about me. If your name happens to be one of these names, are just random names I pick. Okay? So, Betty notices that the pastor's wife has not been at church for several weeks. So Betty decides she's going to call Linda up because Linda's in her small group. She calls up Linda and says, Linda, have you noticed the pastor's wife hadn't been in church in several weeks? Well, yeah, I've been thinking about that. I've been trying to figure that out and I don't know what's going on there. And they have some discussion about it. And Linda says, you know, I think I've got it figured
1: out. She never really liked this church anyway. Now, make no mistake, the, the family's been in that church for over 10 years.
0: Right? She's... Wife has served in vacation Bible school and Sunday school and nursery and women's ministry. But, but in this moment, <clears throat> in this moment, Linda raises the idea that the pastor's wife really doesn't like her. She, she's never liked this church. You remember, you remember how she
1: acted on that call weekend? Oh yeah, I remember that time too. She didn't shake my hand over here in the hallway. So the talk continues. And, and then about a month later, two months later, Pastor gets
0: a call from the chairman of deacons. Chairman says, uh, "Pastor, I need to come by and see you." Can I just say, when your chairman of deacons calls you and he don't tell you what's over on the phone, and he says, "I'm coming to see you," a pastor's mind can run a lot of different places. Hopefully, it's good, but sometimes it's not. So he comes and sees the pastor. He says, "Pastor, uh, I, d- I just need to ask you a question. Um, I-, I heard that your wife
1: is going to the Methodist church downtown and that she's going to divorce you." How did we get from her not coming to church for a few weeks to going to the Methodist
0: church downtown and getting ready to divorce her husband? Well,
1: as you can imagine, the pastor's like, what? What, what does this even mean? Well, if, if Betty had, had, instead of calling Linda, swung by the church where the pastor's required to
0: have office hours, he's there, and just knocked on the door and said, Pat, you know, I hadn't seen your wife in a while. I'm, I'm just concerned about that. Here's what she would have found out She would have found
1: out that the pastor's wife has a brother who just tried to commit suicide. And he's been, inter-
0: he's been basically put into an institution, and he was the only caregiver for the wife's family, sp- or mom, father was deceased. So the brother was taking care of the mom. Live several hours away, and the wife has had to go take care of her mom and try to help her brother through this mental breakdown that he's going through. And does that not change everything? So instead of the pastor having to qu- answer questions about something that is absolutely ludicrous because two ladies are talking on the phone have no clue what they're talking about. If one person, just one, had to went to the pastor and say, hey, what's this about? They would have heard the story and then they would have found out, man, we really need to be praying for our pastor. We need to be praying for for her brother. And the pastor would have had deep respect for Betty because Betty, instead of going to her small group, came to him, had a conversation with him. They prayed together and everything is wonderful and glorious and good. Don't believe everything you hear because it very may be that that rumor you're hearing is the work of demonic power. Do you want to participate in that? I'm an open book. You can ask me anything you want to ask me. as long as it's not encroaching on my family, I protect my family, I protect my kids, but I'll be as transparent with you as I've always tried to be. But come to me, and we'll talk about it. I don't care how hard it is. Finally, anybody we're putting in leadership, let's make sure we know what their character is. Let's make sure we know where they stand. Let's make sure that they're picking up a cross and
1: following Jesus, and they've been doing that for a while. We must do our due diligence here. Because in the days ahead, in
0: the years ahead, the church is going to face attacks it's never had to face before. I think as our culture becomes more like Ephesus, make no mistake about it, the attacks are going to come. We've got to do our due diligence here. Yes, there's going to be more rumors. Yes, there's going to be more accusations. The more we stand upon the Bible, the more the accusations are going to come. But Paul's already laid out for Timothy what it looks like for a church to operate healthy to be healthy, to do what we've been called to do. And what it really comes down to is exactly where we started. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor, your pastor, your elder, your deacon, your small group leader. Love them as you love yourself.
1: Father in heaven, we thank you for the clarity of your word. And Father, I am very blessed to be part of a congregation who
0: has taken very good care of me and very good care of my family and very good care of the staff. We recognize, Father, that Satan could creep in because this church is about great commission work. We're about great commandment worship. Loving you, loving neighbor. And Father, anywhere your word is taught, anywhere there is love among the family of God, anywhere that a church is moving forward under the banner of a blood-stained cross, there is going to be accusation, there's going to be attack. But Father, we know, we know that the church the called out ones. That is your ministry to the world through the church. So Father, for those in this building and online that are lost, maybe it's some past hurt. Maybe they've seen that breakdown between what the church teaches and what some of the leaders are leading and that's become a barrier. Some church hurt something about the church in the past. Some public figure that has failed. But Father, all
1: it really is 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 excuses. So break that down. Draw them to the salvation that You offer. Father, for this church body, may we be prepared mentally, emotionally, physically for the challenges that we have to face together. And Father, may we love one another. May we give
0: grace to one another. May we support one another in the same way that You, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, have loved us, given us grace, changed our life. May we may we have that kind of love for one another. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon.
0: For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or
1: on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.